everyone, and welcome to the Lift As We Climb podcast with me, Kaylin Grace Apple. This is the first official episode of the Lift As We Climb podcast, and I can't wait for you all to hear what I have in store for this season. This podcast is all about learning from the past and gaining inspiration in the present. It is my belief that while we strive to achieve our own successes, we must also, quote, lift as we climb. To me, the quote, lift as we climb, is all about striving for excellence and breaking barriers while also remembering to uplift the people around us and to strive for their successes as well. In this pilot episode, we're going to be discussing the inspiration for this podcast, individuals who have had a significant impact on me and my career, as well as my journey to today. I did not start out as a natural student and had spent most of my childhood working towards becoming a professional equestrian. So we're going to be discussing that and what caused me to pivot to academia and to starting a YouTube channel. If you watch my YouTube channel, you may already know a bit about me and how I got here, but I want this episode to be a free-form discussion so I can introduce you to myself and this podcast more thoroughly. So without further ado, we're going to begin with a segment which will begin at every episode and interview. This is what I call past, present, and purpose. So the first question is, who from the past has inspired you? How has their legacy played a role in your personal and professional life? So when thinking about who I wanted to select as someone who has inspired me from the past, I decided to talk about Anita Hill. Anita Hill attended Yale Law School to obtain her law degree in 1980 before working as an associate at a Washington, D.C. law firm where she became an associate to Clarence Thomas. She later followed Thomas to the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in 1982 as his assistant and left after only a year. Fast forward to 1991, Thomas was then a federal circuit judge and was called upon by President George H.W. Bush to fill the seat of Justice Thurgood Marshall on the U.S. Supreme Court bench. When Hill was called upon to provide a private interview to verify Thomas's character, she reported that Thomas had sexually harassed her while she was working for him at the EEOC and she was called to testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Her statement was brushed aside. She faced public embarrassment as senators asked if she was, quote, a scorned woman, and the media questioned her motives, credibility, and character simply because she had the gall to stand up and speak out. I chose to mention her today because her story and her testimony truly opened my eyes to the damage sexual harassment and racism can cause and what needs to change about the way that we address women's voices in politics, law, media, etc., She is an inspiration and is but one of the many women in recent history who I look up to. I specifically chose to discuss Anita Hill today, and I'll be discussing other women in future podcasts. But I remember learning about her testimony as a teenager, and I also remember discussing her testimony in detail during a women's history course with Dr. Catherine Marino at UCLA. I remember it having a just significant impact on me, and I remember I took that home. I remember discussing it with my father. I remember just really taking what was said by the media about her on board and recognizing that her testimony has had a significant impact on history and women's ability to come forward. This was also around the time that Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee for the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. I keep saying it's had a significant impact, but I specifically remember the pain and the frustration I felt when I saw the media postings and seeing people who I deemed to be friends and family saying that she was lying. And then I just remember reading the testimony of Anita Hill, and I remember watching Dr. Christine Blasey Ford in in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and it had the effect 
of make me really reconsider the way that I, I personally view women's voices and how I can be an activist for women's rights. So I wanted to highlight Anita Hill today, as well as a little bit Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, because their testimony has had such an effect on me as a person and as a scholar and as an activist. So the next question is, who inspires you today? So when I was thinking about who inspires me, of course, my my family, my mother, my grandmother, coaches that I've had in the past. And ultimately, I came down to a list of people who have had a very significant impact on my academic work and my decision to start a YouTube channel. I'm going to kind of name off this list, but I'm going to discuss it in a little bit more detail. Dr. Joanne Freeman, Dr. Clay Jenkinson, Dr. Brenda Stevenson, Dr. Kyle Mays, Dr. Catherine Marino, Dr. Craig Yerish, and Dr. Angela Davis have all had such an impact on my academic work, on myself as an activist, and as an individual. And so I want to discuss them a little bit more. So Dr. Joanne Freeman is a professor at Yale University, and she teaches the history of the American Revolution. She's also a very publicly famous historian for helping with Hamilton. She is a Hamilton scholar and a Hamiltonian. And I really admired her work because she has made her work so public facing. I say this all the time on my YouTube channel, and I've been very public about it in seminars and in other public spaces in saying that academics and academia needs to be more public facing and that the work of academics should be accessible to the public because I think that we're doing important work. And one of the people that I always highlight when I discuss historians that have done a really great job making their work public facing is Dr. Joanne Freeman. Next, I'm going to talk about Dr. Clay Jenkinson. So when I was, I think, 20, I was working as a professional equestrian. I had just had surgery on my shoulder and was on layup, so I wasn't able to ride. And I We'll talk a little bit about this later, but during that time, I started listening to podcasts while I was working because I was really only able to walk the horses or do administrative work. And so I started listening to this podcast called the Thomas Jefferson Hour. And I remember they were doing their Jefferson 101 series and talking about Clay Jenkinson's book, Becoming Jefferson's People. And... I just remember him talking about the optimism of Jefferson's writings, and although it is rather problematic, and I will do an episode on my history learning about Jefferson and Sally Hemings and the other slaves at Monticello, I did really appreciate Clay Jenkinson's commentary, and still do, and I remember writing to him when I was transferring to UCLA, and... I've actually had some one-on-one correspondence with him, and I just really appreciate his work. I really appreciate the work that they're doing at the Thomas Jefferson Hour. I appreciate him speaking out, especially during this rather difficult time, and he's just had a very significant impact on me as as a scholar and as a person. And then I want to talk about a couple of professors that I had at UCLA, Dr. Brenda Stevenson, Dr. Kyle Mays, Dr. Catherine Marino, Dr. Craig Yerish, and Dr. Joan Waugh. I know I didn't mention her in the initial list, but I wanted to add her in here because they all were so supportive of me as a young undergraduate. And I will talk a little bit about a conversation that I had with Dr. Kyle Mays that really 
was the inspiration for this podcast, but they all were so supportive and they really pushed me to be a better scholar, to be a better student, to be a better person. And Dr. Yurish helped me with my undergraduate thesis, which ultimately helped me get into my PhD program. So I am forever in his debt. He really improved my writing. He pushed me. His comments made me cry on a couple occasions, but ultimately I learned so much from him and from all of my professors at UCLA. Dr. Stevenson was the reason I went to UCLA. I was just so drawn to her research and I wanted to take her classes and I just I felt so starstruck when I finally got to meet her because I was just so in awe of her work and I was so lucky to get to work with her. Dr. Mays, I'll talk a little bit in a second. And Dr. Catherine Marino was a young professor who I got to work with my final year at UCLA and she was always just so bright and inspiring and kind. I remember talking to her in office hours and she was always there to help you. And she was the most popular professor that quarter. It was really hard to get time one-on-one with her because when you went to office hours, there'd be like five people lined up outside to speak with her. Just That is just a testament to the person that she is. And Dr. Joan Waugh taught a class on the Gilded Age my junior year at UCLA. And I met my best friend there. I met Zach. And I remember she introduced us. He was sitting in the front. He had taken her Civil War class. And I was new. And she introduced him to me. And Zach is now a central figure in my life. And I thank Joan Wall for that. Her classes were incredibly inspiring. And I remember a conversation I had with her in her office hours where she said that I had to find my own voice and that as an academic, I should strive to create my own unique work. And I took that as a message to figure out what my own voice was in the classroom, but also what my own voice was outside of the classroom. And that was part of the reason I started my YouTube channel. So I am just so in awe of all of the professors I got to work with at UCLA. I just, I would not, I would not be here without them. And then Dr. Angela Davis, the, the great Angela Davis, I got to see her talk at a um, Black Bruins alumni event. It was her first time back to UCLA after being fired. And if you guys don't know her story, I would really recommend looking her up online. I'm going to do an episode on her later on, but Angela Davis has had a really significant impact on my way of viewing myself as an activist. And I'm still figuring out what that really means for me. But I remember watching her her documentary in Dr. Kyle Mays' class, um, Free Angela Davis and All Political Prisoners. I really recommend you guys all go check it out. And she's just such an incredible speaker. I just, her voice has such an interesting cadence. And I just remember like her voice is just so unique and not only the things that she says, but actually like her actual physical voice, the way that she sounds. And I don't know, I just, I find her very, very inspiring. So then the last question in this segment is going to be, what is your why? And this is something that I ask all of my clients for my admissions consulting business. And it's something that I think is really important and something that I think that we need to ask more of ourselves and of our peers. So this is my why. So to begin answering this question, I want to talk a little bit 
about what's going on at the moment. I'm currently recording this podcast during a rather tumultuous time in American history, and it's always been a tumultuous time for Black people, and I want to recognize that. This moment in which we're going through these protests and these riots are a reaction to centuries of disenfranchisement and oppression and brutality. And this is in a way part of my why. I strongly believe in providing access to academia. That is something that I hold true in my business, in my YouTube channel, in my life. I think that it's not just about getting people into schools, getting people higher education. It's also about helping them fund it. It's about helping them succeed in it. It's also about helping them have access to information about the work of academics. And I take these African-American studies classes. I study slavery. I study early American Black history. And in those classes, we talk about the issues that are being fought against today. But we're only just ever so close to the problem. At least I know that I am ever so close to the problem as a white person. And so while I sit in these classes and we have these discussions about police brutality, mass incarceration, we talk about slavery, we talk about racism, it's just an intellectual discussion. It is a way of talking about it in a philosophical and theoretical manner. But that's not enough. I think that we also have to be active in kind of fighting some of our biases and actually taking what we're learning on board and applying it. And so while I am an academic, I also want to be an activist. I want to be an ally. And in doing so, I recognize that that is a consistent learning process. And so I have taken that on as my mission. And that's my why. My why is wanting to learn. It's wanting to provide access for other people. It's wanting to see others succeed. And for the people that I study for my dissertation or what I'm going to be studying during my PhD, I want to make it my mission that I'm not just learning about them as an intellectual pursuit, but that I'm actually taking their stories on board and applying it to how I act as a humanitarian, as an individual. I want to apply it in my real life. So that's my answer for that question. But now we're going to move on to the body of this episode. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about my inspiration for the episode and kind of how I got here, what has been my journey to academia and all of that. So I want to begin with this quick little memory. So I remember my first African-American studies class at UCLA. It was with a newly minted professor by the name of Kyle Mays. And the class was called Afro-Indigenous History from Enslavement and Settlement to Black Lives Matter and Indigenous Sovereignty. Little did I know at the time, but that class would have a significant impact on me as a student and as a person, but it also seems so relevant given our current social climate. After several classes, I met with my professor, Dr. Mays, to discuss my goals of one day attending law school and my interest in researching the social and legal histories of enslaved women. I remember he asked if I would ever consider doing a PhD instead, to which I replied that I didn't think I was cut out for it. I thought that I wasn't a good enough student, and I thought that there was just no way, and that there was not going to be any jobs on the other side. And I remember him saying that I should consider it. 
So fast forward to just before graduation at UCLA, I received an acceptance letter from the University of Oxford for a master's in history, which I hoped would lead to a later PhD and law degree. I emailed all of my professors, including Dr. Mays, to tell them the good news, and I will never forget Dr. Mays' response in particular. His email read, quote, amazing, it's all a testament to your hard work. As you progress and do great things, always remember to lift as you climb. His message really stuck with me and is one of the reasons I started my YouTube channel, consulting business, and now this podcast. Lift As We Climb is not only the title of this podcast, but it is a personal motto for me. So I want to talk a little bit about the history behind the phrase and where I heard it first. So if you guys listened to the trailer for this podcast, I talked about how Mary Church Terrell, the president of the National Association for Colored Women, was the first woman to say the quote, lift as we climb, or at least as we have it recorded. And that became the motto of the National Association for Colored Women. They have a poster that is currently hanging in the African American History Museum at the Smithsonian. Uh, It's a purple banner with yellow trim, and it says, lifting as we climb. And later, Angela Davis also quoted that statement, and she said, we must always remember to lift as we climb. I remember hearing it for the first time, I believe it was at UCLA, and it had an immediate impact on the way I viewed my own work. It wasn't just about my success. It wasn't just about how I got here. It was about who inspired me to get here, who kind of lifted me up. And then what was what was I going to do to lift up others? And that's always been my mission. And that's kind of why I I have this podcast. And that's why I started my YouTube channel, and my business and all of that is, is tied back to this mission of quote, lifting as I climb, so to speak, or providing access for more people. And so now I'm going to talk a little bit about how I personally got to this point, how I made it from a 2.9 high school GPA where I was barely able to graduate to now gaining acceptance to a Yale PhD in history and African American studies. There's a lot that went on in between and I always say that the road to success and the road to your dreams is not linear, that you have to take some bumps in the road and you have to navigate the trials of your life in order to get where you're meant to be. And I strongly believe in trusting your gut and your intuition and really making sure that you're following your intuition and not listening to your fear. And so when I was in high school, I was not a good student. I really liked my history classes. I really liked my English classes, but I was terrible in math and science. I was really struggling and I had a lot of problems with socializing. I was really shy, really awkward really quiet. I had some some challenges early in high school with my mental health. I had had a really damaging riding accident when I was a freshman, which required me to have a rolling backpack, which in high school isn't cool. And so people made fun of me, but I had a really difficult time in high school. And the only thing that really helped me get through it was riding horses. I really wanted to be a professional equestrian. And that was my goal since I was for as long as I can remember since I knew that horses existed really. So I, I maintained that that dream and I remember I graduated high school and I was given the opportunity to become a 
working student, which is basically an intern in the horse world for my trainer. And I remember I went to my dad and I said, I'm not going to go away to college. I want to ride. And I remember his response was, okay, well, if you want to be an adult, then you're going to be treated as an adult. If you want to make the decision not to go away to school, then you're going to, you're going to take this job and you're going to live on your own and you're going to, you're going to figure it out. And at the time it was the most nerve wracking thing I've probably ever experienced, but I look back on that and I am so grateful that he pushed me to, to be independent in that way. And so I moved out. I worked for that trainer for a year and I was grateful for the opportunities that I received there. I worked through a lot of my, my personal kind of socializing issues. I was really, really shy, really awkward. I had a really hard time making friends. And so that had a, I had a bit of a difficult time, but I ended up taking a job back closer to home with a trainer who I'd always really revered. And I became her assistant trainer, which meant that I was able to turn professional and get paid for my work. I was no longer a working student or an intern, so to speak. And so I did that and I just loved working for her. Her name was Lisanne and I am just so beyond grateful for the time I got to spend with her. It was probably one of the best summers of my life working for her. I felt like I was seen. I felt like I was heard. I felt like I was being treated fairly. I felt like the work that I had done as a teenager, all the times where I felt out of place and felt like I had no purpose, that job really gave me that opportunity to feel important. Lisanne ended up deciding to close her business And so I looked for another job. And so I took another job and I got a lot of opportunities. I was really riding cloud nine. I got to show, I was competing all the time. I was on the road and I ultimately was living my dream life. And I thought that that was what I was meant to be doing. And ultimately it was the summer of 2015. I was, I believe 19 years old and I wasn't happy. I would get home from the horse show after winning, after competing and having a really great day and having really amazing clients to work with and really wonderful horses. And I just, something wasn't right. I just didn't feel, feel fulfilled anymore. I felt like I had checked off a box, but I hadn't really figured out what was my next step. And I tried to assess my goals and I realized that my goal wasn't riding anymore. So I ended up going with my cousin to Boston because he was taking a job at MIT. And we went for a walk one night at Harvard. And I remember I turned to him and I said, I want to go to law school. And I remember walking around with him that night and him saying that if I still wanted to do it, I could. That I would just have to go back to community college. I would have to transfer and that I could do it if I really wanted to. And so I went home. I made a plan, as I do. (laughs) And then I went to my father and I said to him, I want to go to law school. Will you help me transfer? Will you help me go to school? And he said, yes, I will. And so I continued to ride. I continued to work full time and I went to school full time. I was taking night classes and online classes. And ultimately by the spring of 2017, I was ready to transfer. And so I had applied to a variety of schools. I applied all over the East Coast. I applied to the UCs. I applied to a bunch of different schools. 
and ultimately gained acceptance to UCLA, which was baffling to me because I just didn't feel like I was ever a good enough student to get into a school of that caliber. I remember getting the acceptance letter and feeling like they had misplaced somebody's email, that this was not actually meant for me. And instead of feeling like I hadn't earned this opportunity or that I wasn't good enough, I tried to change my mindset and I said, well, if I'm given this opportunity and they did make a mistake, I might as well run with it. And I got to UCLA and I talked to my professors. I talked with graduate students. I did as much research as I could and I made the absolute most of my time there. I hit the ground running. And I graduated UCLA with a 3.9 and highest honors on my undergraduate honors thesis and with an acceptance letter to Oxford. And around the time that I had decided to apply to Oxford, I had talked to my professors and I had said, I feel, I feel stuck. I feel concerned about this, this goal of mine to go to law school because I just love research so much. I'm not ready to give it up. I'm not ready to give up history. And my professors all said, why not do a JD PhD? Why not, why not do both? If your love is legal history, then why not make a career out of both? And that's when all of a sudden everything clicked. And I just, I felt so impassioned by the possibility that I could do the work that I wanted to do. I could be a scholar, but I could also be a lawyer. I have always had a fascination with constitutional law and the early Republic. I remember watching the testimony of law professors, of constitutional lawyers in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and just being so drawn to the way that they applied history in their legal justifications. And that's ultimately what I wanted to do. And so I was at Oxford and I applied for PhD programs. I ultimately decided that I needed to get into the PhD program first because I wanted to make sure that I had a home there and that I was working with the right people. And I applied to a variety of schools and ultimately gained acceptance to my absolute dream school. I got into Yale, which is still just shocking to me. I still can't believe that I managed to make it from barely graduating high school to now making my plans to move to New Haven, Connecticut to start my studies at Yale. It just, it just blows my mind. And along the way, I decided that I wanted to kind of give back. I learned so much. I had figured out the system of how to write statements of purpose and personal statements. And I had figured out what certain schools were looking for. And so I decided to share that information with other people, which is how I decided to start my YouTube channel. When I had applied to schools like UCLA and Oxford, I really relied on YouTube to give me some context as to what my life was going to look like. And I'm really glad I did that <laughs> because it really helped me see what my life was going to be like. And it ultimately helped me decide that I wasn't seeing enough information about graduate school. And if that information wasn't out there, I might as well be the one to do it. And so I started my YouTube channel and that has been one of the most fulfilling things I have, I have done in recent history. And I just love it. And then I decided to start this podcast because I thought that it would be a great extension of 
my YouTube channel that had a slightly different purpose. One question that I get asked a lot is what's next? What do I plan to do after a PhD? And ultimately, I the advice that I want to give is that although you may have a certain plan, you may have these kind of like milestones that you want to hit, the way that you get there doesn't matter as much. As long as you're doing it ethically, you're doing it in a way that you feel passionate about. And so my ultimate goal is to be a law professor, to be a legal history professor, and to be a constitutional lawyer. And however I get there is going to be based on timing, it's going to be based on who I know, and it's going to be based on my experiences. So I don't know how I'm going to get there quite yet, but I'm going to figure it out. And the way that I'm going to figure it out is by asking questions, by talking to professors, by talking to people in the field that I want to get into, and just continually learning. So now I want to move on to this next question, which is, what is the best piece of advice I have received? So I've received a lot of advice over the years. And one piece of advice that's always stuck with me is that anything you do should be pursued with passion and 100% dedication. If you guys follow me on YouTube, or if you know me in person, then you may know that I take on a lot. I, I like to be busy. I like to have a lot on my plate. But that's how I function best. I've, I've figured out over the years that I have to really kind of overfill my plate in order to be my best. But the one thing that I am not willing to compromise on is the integrity of my work, the integrity of myself, my passion. I have to be doing things that I feel are beneficial, not just to myself, but to other people as well. And one misconception is that when you are passionate about what you're doing, when you really love what you're doing, it's not work. It's still work. Every day there's little pieces that you really love and there are pieces that you really don't love, but you figure out how to balance it all. And you figure out how to make the things that are a little bit difficult worthwhile. And you have to maintain the knowledge at the forefront of your mind that even when things get tough and you have to do the things that you're not necessarily super fond of, ultimately you'd rather do that than do anything else. And for me, that's how I feel about academia. I just, there are some times when it is really difficult to read or to write or to question and it takes a lot of brain power, but I would do that a million times over, over just about anything else. And there are times when I am not quite sure what I should film for a video. And I ultimately decided that with my YouTube channel, I am going to film and edit and upload things that I really enjoy and the things that I think are important, even if it doesn't get the views, even if it doesn't get the, the audience retention. My YouTube channel is a direct reflection of who I am and what I stand for. And so I want to make sure that I'm doing things the way that I believe is right. And I'm not just producing content that is clickbait worthy. <laughs> and that I also create podcasts and create other types of content that I that I truly believe in, which is why I am so excited to to interview the people that are on this list for the first season. The next couple questions are going to be similar in every episode, and that is, what do you hope your legacy will be, and how do you, quote, lift as you climb, and how do you inspire others? And so I'll start with the first part of that. What do you hope is your legacy? 
my hope is that I can help people find, pursue, and succeed at their passions. I have had so many incredible mentors in my life that I am just so grateful for and so indebted to. And they really pushed me and helped me discover who I am and what I want to do. And that is a continual process that's always changing. And I want to be that for someone, whether it's a student, whether it's a viewer on my YouTube channel or someone listening to this podcast. I want to be the reason that somebody decided to invest in themselves and to take a risk and to do what they're truly passionate about. That is what I that is what I want to do with my my platform and with my research and with my profession. And then along with that, how do I lift as I climb? How does how do I hope to give back? And in order to do that, I want to build up my online presence and my business so I can reach more people and I want to give back. I ultimately built my consulting business so I could eventually build a nonprofit. My goal is to eventually create a nonprofit that goes back into community colleges and state schools and provides free resources for people to get advice on how to apply to certain schools, how to market their applications and market their skills. So that's my goal with my with my online business. And I wish that I had had certain resources and I recognized that I was in a rather privileged position. I still went to a very good high school. I went to an excellent undergraduate university. And although my parents didn't necessarily know how to go through the application process, I did have access to people that did. And that is something that not everyone does. And so the point of my consulting business is to keep everything at a price point that is accessible to everyone. And that is how I hope to give back, is by reaching more people, by helping more people, by being a resource for people to help them achieve their goals of entering higher education, having access to higher education. And that's that's my, that's my Lift As We Climb story. That's why I started this podcast. So we've now reached the end of this first episode of the Lift As We Climb podcast. I thank you all for listening to the end. I hope you guys enjoyed. Please, please, please leave this podcast a five-star review on whichever listening platform you're using. I want to be able to highlight people's comments and please share that you're listening on your stories on Instagram. Please share this podcast with your friends. The algorithm for podcasts pretty much only boosts podcasts if they have certain reviews. There's really no other way for it to get to other people. So please share this podcast. And if you guys have any suggestions, please send me a DM on Instagram and I will have all of my information for Instagram, for YouTube and all of that down below. I have some really incredible episodes coming your way. Next week, we're going to have Ash, my friend from Oxford on, who's pursuing her DPhil in political science. She's from Egypt and she has a really incredible story. And then after that, I have on my friend Chloe, who's going to be talking all about her experience as a transfer student and studying Egyptology and now pursuing a career in arts education. So a lot of fun episodes coming your way. I hope you guys enjoyed and I will see you guys next time. Bye everyone. Thank you.